Today, we're going to learn from Jesus through a metaphor of the garden. He, he teaches about a vine which is planted in the ground and bears fruit. To the first listeners, to Jesus' disciples, this would have been a very familiar image. They grew up knowing that God's people were like a vine that God had planted in the ground. It was the prophet Isaiah who first depicted God's people as a choice vine that he planted in the ground so they would grow righteousness and justice. The psalmist also described Israel as this vine. And and it was such a powerful image for them, it made its way into their architecture. Try to imagine this. Whenever they went to the temple to worship God, this is right up into Jesus' day, above the entrance, there was a great vine with a grape cluster that was as large as a man that had been carved there and covered in pure gold. Can you picture that? So that each time they went into the temple, they saw again a picture of who God told them they should be, a vine that grows good fruit in the world. Now there was a problem, and the problem was that God's people had not been bearing good fruit, that instead of growing righteousness and justice in the world, they had turned in upon themselves so the fruit that they grew was worthless for the world around them. Now here's where Jesus appears. Jesus comes into this scene with his lesson and a new word. I want you to see what he said. This is John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Try to imagine what that would sound like if you were one of those people who'd grown up being told we are. This people of God, we are the vine that God had planted. Here comes Jesus, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Here, Jesus is saying to all of those people what I hope we can hear this morning, which is that God will bring about justice and righteousness in the world, but it will be in a new way. God, Jesus says, has come in person in me to plant himself right here in your world. This is what Jesus is saying. I am the one who's been planted right where your life unfolds and I myself will bear that fruit. And he goes on to teach them what we need to receive this morning and it's this, that God is not gonna bear this fruit without us. Would you take that to heart for a moment? Do you know that Jesus said this? He said, I am the vine and then he told everyone who would listen, you are the branches. You can imagine that being a startling thing to hear back then, as they always believed they were the vine. Jesus is saying, no, I'm the vine. But then imagine the potential in this word from Jesus. You are the branches. You are the ones on whom the fruit is going to grow. The fruit that God means to bring about in this world, righteousness and justice, it will grow on you. Now think of this for a moment. If ever you thought the world is such a mess, it makes it hard for me to trust in God and believe in God. Now, if you take what Jesus says here to heart, then you are on the hook. Where you see a lack of justice, you are on the hook or on the vine, to use the gardening metaphor. You are the one in whom these things are meant to grow. Whenever you've been disappointed because you've seen unrighteousness out there, this image that Jesus uses is meant to push you to say, how can I be a person who brings what I wish were in the world into the world? 
Listen now, I have one goal this morning, one goal. It is to help you grow as a follower of Jesus. That's it. If you are already a follower of Jesus, then this is a success if afterward you are better able to follow him. If you are not a follower of Jesus, this is a success when you see that you were meant to be a follower of his. The only way for you to have real life is to connect to him and grow fruit in the world. This is my goal. Look at what Jesus goes on to say a little further down in verse four in chapter 15 as he unfolds this image. He says, abide in me as I abide in you Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There, right here, there is a promise and there is an imperative illuminated by a garden metaphor. The promise first, I abide in you. This is absolutely stunning, but Jesus promises to abide in the heart of every man and every woman who is working at trusting in him and believing in him. Abide, in its simplest sense in Greek, it means to make one's home in, right? You abide in your abode. Are you with me? Those words are related in English, in Greek. Here Jesus makes a promise that he will make his home inside of anyone who trusts him. That is a promise for you this morning. And I think it's hard to overestimate the the sort of stunning miracle that God himself promises to dwell within us as the unseen, ever-present, and powerful guest. The promise is for you when you trust. And then, in light of this promise, Jesus makes a, a corresponding demand of us. He invites us to a decision. It's the imperative there. Abide in me, he says. Choose, this is what Jesus is saying, choose to make your home in me. Rest in me. Think about your home when everything is right, okay? The place that you want to go to so that you can settle down. The place where you are are completely at ease. The work day is done and now you are most able to be yourself. Does anyone have an outfit that they would only wear at home? I do. I wore it last night. Jesus said, uh, Jesus, excuse me. <laughs> my daughter Lily said, and that's a pretty good slip. I think highly of my daughter. She said, Dad, that shirt has holes in it. It should be thrown out. Wherever you are able to be that at ease, Jesus says, be like that in me. That's his invitation. And the promise, I'll be in you, I'll I'll make my home in you, you make your home in me, Jesus says. Those two, that dynamic of being related to Jesus like that, which is just so beautiful when you think of it, that dynamic is illuminated by the garden metaphor when Jesus goes on to say, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Do you hear the point of the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you? it is that you should bear fruit. That's why he invites you to make your home in him. That's why he promises to make his home in you so that you will bear fruit in the world. Like when a branch remains connected to the vine, so water and nutrients are available. Without that ongoing connection, nothing grows. But when it's there, the results will be good fruit. What's true of the vine and the branches in this metaphor is true of you and Jesus. Okay, now listen. 
Does the world need good fruit, to use the metaphor, yes or no? We all know it does, and we want to see it growing in the world. And here, this teaching from Jesus is meant to say to you, yes, God wants to bring that fruit about, and he's going to do it when you're connected to Jesus in the right way. Like a vine is connected to the branches. Do you know what that means? Some of us do, but most of us won't, because very few of us spend most of our time cultivating plants that are growing in the earth. What's true of us is not true of the disciples. In fact, when Jesus used this metaphor back then, he could count on the fact that those disciples and those listeners would have a very hands-on familiarity with everything that was involved in gardening and agriculture. So his metaphor would live in them and help them see how to abide in him and what it would mean to abide in him and what to expect if they tried to make their home in him. And what we need is is we need to learn the lessons that come from the garden. And that's what I'm going to give you now. Five lessons that I learned from my season of being in the garden where we live now that illuminate the truth about what it means to abide in Jesus and how to be a disciple. And here's where I mean to be practical and helpful to you. Okay, so here, five lessons from the garden for discipleship. Here's the first lesson. It's harder than you think. And this is true of both gardening and discipleship. And I tell you this at the start, because if you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, it will be difficult, and a part of you will say, there must be something wrong with me, and you'll be tempted to give up. But there's nothing wrong with you. It is much harder than you think. Okay, the first project that Michelle and I undertook when we got to our garden was to prepare the ground for planting. She got to work in one of the beds. There were beds that were already there marked out. I said that I would prepare the ground in between the beds so that it would be easy to walk there and there wouldn't be any more weeds growing. Okay, look at this. My truck's there in the background. Okay, when we moved out to Bedminster, it was like my truck finally got to come home. Uh, The wood chips in the back were for ground cover. And what I told Michelle is I'll just spread the wood chips all over the ground and that'll kill the weeds and we'll be done. It'll take me an hour. Of course, she said, the weeds will come right through. I did not believe her, but I said, no problem. I'll pull the weeds up. And I set aside in my mind, two hours, I'll have all the weeds removed. Uh, Do you see that small brown square there next to the wood chips? That's 12 square feet. That took me three hours and I had no energy left and I had to quit. I started with a metal rake. I jammed it into the clay there in Bedminster and pulled it three or four times and it broke. I went and got a hand tiller with the little spikes. I pushed that in. It went into the clay. It got tangled with clay and weeds. I pushed it harder. It broke. Then I used the pitchfork and literally three hours later, I had no energy left and that's all I turned over. I got the wood chips. I spread it out over the rest. And of course, in a week, the weeds were up and I had to start over again. It is harder than you think. Now listen, the disciples hearing Jesus talk about the vine, they all knew this. They knew this, okay? So when we hear Jesus say, I'm the vine, you're the branches, we might think about fruit as that thing which you go to the supermarket any time of the year and you can buy whatever you want with relative ease, but that's not how it was. They knew they had to work for it. Tending to the vineyard all season long, So there's fruit at the end of the season. And with his teaching, Jesus is shaping the expectations of the disciples thoughtfully so that they know 
that the path of following Jesus is challenging so they won't give up when it becomes challenging. Not the path, listen, this is very important, not the path of being accepted by Jesus. All right, if you hear me saying it's harder than you think and you think, okay, I must do something for Jesus to accept me. No, no, the first thing is you are accepted. That's what God says. He loves you, you are his. It's already happened that he's done everything required for you to be welcomed by him into this garden with him. You don't have to worry about that at all. But once you receive his acceptance, then you must learn that it is hard to be a follower of his. Listen to Matthew 16, 24. Jesus teaches very directly about this. He says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Uh, how many of you have an easy time denying yourself? None of us. That's hard to do. And then Jesus follows that statement that you'll need to learn to say no to you with an image that was an image of torture and was carried on the backs of those who were going to their own execution, the cross. There is no more stark image of challenge than that. Saying no to yourself so you can walk with Jesus and bear the associated burdens, that's difficult. And that's true of gardening and discipleship. But listen now, this is very important. If you're thinking now, well, how could anyone manage that? Which, which is true, you ought to think that. The truth is no one can manage the cross without help. And, and this is the truth of the trustworthy nature of God's empowering presence. Remember, Jesus did not just say, work hard, he said, I'll abide in you. You remember that, right? And the second lesson from, from the garden and discipleship is this, that growth is mysterious. That is, the gardener works hard, but the power of growth is a mystery which is given to the gardener and which the gardener can't manage. Do you know this? In the seed, latent in the soil and the sun and the rain which falls, there is the power for growth, which is completely beyond the gardener to manage, but is given nonetheless. Uh, this photo right here was taken on May 9th. Those short green blades in the foreground are the beginning of corn. Uh, the young man in the background is our son, Nathaniel, who decided he wanted to plant corn. That's May 9th. Now, this is the same spot in the garden on July 3rd. Okay, 56 days later, already there is a corn cob there wrapped up in green with enough kernels to grow an entire field of corn next year if we take it down and set those seeds aside. Do you know how that happens? You may be able to describe it, but at the heart of that is a mystery, which is like magic. Let me ask you to use your imagination for a moment. Where do you suppose the bulk of all that greenery comes from? If someone pressed you and said, where does it come from, all the substance there, I suspect most of you would say, well, I suppose it comes out of the ground. It draws nutrients from the soil, and, and that's how it comes about. And if you thought that, as I certainly thought before I was enlightened, you'd be wrong, because most of that, almost all of it comes from the air. Do you believe me or not? I wouldn't believe me if I were you. <laughs> Just listen to this. Most of the substance is carbon. All of the carbon comes from the air, from carbon dioxide. That plant starts to grow, it absorbs energy from the sun, and then the carbon dioxide, which is out here, gets trapped by the plant, and it breaks 
the oxygen away from the carbon and then it lets carbon uh, become a part of its body and then it releases oxygen. You know how everybody says plants trap carbon and then they release oxygen and that's why we think they're good. But just imagine that almost all of that comes from the air. Isn't that mysterious? Someone's saying, well, hold on a second. There's water in there too. Yeah, where does the water come from? The air, got you. <laughs> and the sunlight too. It is utterly mysterious that in the power of this seed there is the capacity to turn air into solid. I can't even fathom how that takes place. A scientist might be able to describe it, but when it comes down to it, that is a mystery. And listen now, this is where, again, the garden has wisdom for you. Growth is a mystery in the garden, but same with you. Do you know that you can't grow at all except for the promise of Jesus to be right there in you? to be inside of you, dwelling within you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Apart from that, Jesus says it. Look at John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And you know what he means? Nothing. You can't grow apart from Jesus. You can't. But you don't have to because he's promised to be within you and, and in that mysterious but potent and powerful way that is just as beautiful and vibrant as the corn going from this size to this size you yourself will grow because Jesus promises to be in you. He promises to dwell right there in the power of the Spirit so that you can do, you can do with, with Him what you could never do without Him. What can you do? Listen, you can overcome that barrier that right now is impossible for you to overcome. You can forgive that person right now that you resent and you do not have the power to forgive them on your own. You can have enough courage to face the challenge that you don't have enough courage for. You can have the wisdom to speak the truth which you lack on your own. You can have the commitment to see it through which you just don't have on your own. You can have the energy to do one more day. All of that is possible because growth is mysterious in the garden and in your life. As God does his part, you can do what you could never do. But listen now, you also still have to do your part. That's the third lesson from the garden. Uh, that corn would never have grown without uh, the, the commitment uh, that my son, and then really often we, did on his part in watering and weeding. And the third lesson from the garden is that consistency is essential. And this is true. When we think about the challenge of the garden and the challenge of discipleship, you have to be consistent. Only with God's presence will you have the potential to bear fruit and only with your consistent hard work will your potential become actual fruit in the world. I want you to take this to heart, okay? Without dedication and steady hard work all season long, you will have nothing to show at harvest time. All right, take this wisdom in this proverb to heart. This is true. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 4. The lazy person does not plow in season. Harvest comes, and there is nothing to be found. Let's follow the logic here. Uh, every year, every single year, the end of the season comes, and that's when harvest comes, and it's inevitable after the winter, comes the time for preparing the ground. Then comes the time for planting the seeds. Then after that is a time for watering and weeding. And then after all that's come, at the end of the season, there is a harvest. Each successive step depends on the completion of the previous step. And if any one of them is skipped, 
There is going to be no harvest, even though the mystery of growth is there in the seeds. Without the gardener's work, nothing grows. And that's what's taught here. The lazy person who chooses not to plow when the time calls for it will see no fruit. And and here, I'm not trying to discourage you, but to inspire you. If you've wondered, why is there no fruit growing in my life? Maybe it's because you've been skipping the steps required to see growth. Uh, If you skip that work, you will not have fruit at the end of the season. Look, this is a photo of the ground in our yard on June 18th. How does that look? Pretty dismal, right? Michelle and I had some work done, and the contractor told us, after tearing up the ground and then grading it again, he said, I'll put down grass seeds and hay, and I'll make it thick enough so you don't need to do anything at all. Just let the rain come, and you'll have a lush garden. It will look like a golf course. We didn't do anything like he told us, and that's what it looked like. (laughs) Would you want to play golf there? (laughs) Barren and completely incapable of sustaining any life at all. And this is realistic. You should expect this if you do nothing positive to grow as a disciple. That's what you should expect. Okay, if you're thinking, my life of faith feels like it's going nowhere. Are you doing anything which disciples have to do in order to see fruit growing? Without diligent and consistent hard work, there will be no fruit. And listen now, harvest is coming. I'm not just talking about the garden. I'm talking about in life. That's an image that's used quite a bit in the New Testament and in the Old as well. Please listen. There is a time before every one of us where we will stand before God the Father and he will want to see what we did with the potential that he put in our lives. I tell you this not to frighten you, but to inspire you to be consistent in your work, to get going. You are, listen, you're not gonna stand before God to see whether you're accepted or not Jesus died for you. You are accepted. But still the Father will want to see at harvest time, what have you got to show for all of these seasons that I have given you in my grace? Look here. This is a photo of what happens when you are consistent in gardening. This is, to me, a magnificent thing. Just outside of that garden, do you see that brown area there? That's the place where you saw in the first photo. That's it. Same time of year. The only difference between those two places is that in one of them, we were diligent in applying ourselves to the kind of work that you have to do to grow a garden. And right next door, that's what happens when you're not doing any work. Please take this to heart. These are questions for you to put to yourself. Have you prepared your heart, the ground of your heart, for growth in faith? Okay, have you dug out the rocks which are in there or cut away the briars that are going to inhibit healthy growth? If you're thinking, I, I don't even know what those things are, I'll tell you, resentment is a rock that will keep your heart from growing in faith or unforgiveness toward another person or bitterness or looking at yourself and deciding, I get to say who I am. Most of us, when we do that, we chronically undervalue ourselves, okay? Here's another question. Have you maintained a protective fence around what's growing and is good in your life? Employing limits to guard the activities that do lead to increasing faith in your life. You have to guard those things because other things will crowd them out. Are you adding the proper nutrients, sunlight 
and water. Here, very practically, are you reading the Bible? Are you spending regular time in prayer each and every day? Are you letting your morning begin with scanning the news on the internet or, or, or opening your heart to God who's ready to listen to you at every moment? Uh, are you consistently weeding out unhealthy growth, saying no to activities and behaviors that will spoil your spirit and diminish your holiness? This is where I mean to be as practical as I can. If anything's coming to mind now where you're saying to yourself, I know, I will not be able to grow that good stuff unless I take care of that. Take note, please, and just take the step toward it. Whatever it is, consistency is absolutely essential. Uh, If you'll work at it, if you'll work at it, you will see good growth. That's a promise because Jesus promises to abide in you. Now, the fourth lesson that uh, is both for gardeners and disciples is maybe one of the more challenging. Okay, that's why I buried it here in number four, all right? <laughs> but it, it, it's as true as anything, and it's this, that storms are necessary. Without them, the garden will fail. Without them, the disciple will never grow. You know what it is to have a storm in life? Right? And to have one, maybe you've got one now and maybe your mind has said, I have to do everything I can to get away from this storm. Listen to me, storms are necessary. Uh, there was an August afternoon. We were over at the hardware store to buy some more tomato cages and we, we were getting out of our vehicle to go into the store there and a storm rolled over the parking lot. You know those August summer storms that make you feel that perhaps now is when the world is about to end? especially when the lightning and thunder started on this one, it was truly terrifying. And then my son Nate said, it's a good thing there's a storm like this. Without nitrogen, the plants cannot make the proteins, amino acids, and DNA that they need to live. (laughs) I'm not kidding. He said that. No nitrogen, no life. Uh, Summer storms are nature's way of delivering the nitrogen without which nothing green grows on planet Earth. I didn't know this until I asked him. I asked him last night, actually, at the restaurant. Do you know that the air around us is mostly made up of nitrogen? Did you know that? 78% nitrogen, 20% uh, oxygen, and then some other stuff floating around too. The nitrogen in the air is triple bonded, so it is almost impossible to break apart the nitrogen so that it's anything other than the gas floating around. But when a lightning bolt strikes, it delivers so much heat and so much energy that it actually breaks apart those nitrogen from one another. And now, as they're free and roaming around, many of them connect to the oxygen so that they become a form of gas which can be trapped by the rain, brought down into the ground, and become food for the plants. If you don't believe me, Ask Nate. <laughs> it's, it's stunning, but that terror and that darkness and that violence in the atmosphere, without it, the nitrogen cannot be absorbed by the plants and become what makes them grow. And here is a hard lesson, but it is absolutely true. The storms that you yourself are in now, were in, or will be in, they actually are necessary for your growth as a follower of Jesus. The world being what it is, there's no way around it. Storms are necessary. The power 
and the violence in them. And, and, and trust me, I hate them also. I, I would never get up here and say, it's, it's wonderful when you face a storm. I, I can't stand it when things fall apart in life. I can't. I, I woke up this morning feeling disappointed about things that I wish were different and I can't change them. A storm's here, right? For you too. When that happens, you have to trust that we may wish it were different in our own lives, but the truth about following Jesus is that when things are dark and frightening and threatening, these are the moments where you receive essential elements to growth as a follower of his. Uh, James puts it like this. This is Jesus' own brother who said this. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, okay, that is, whenever storms break upon you like the August storms in New Jersey in the summer, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The thunder and lightning which scares you has the potential for genuine growth to produce endurance. James says here, you know. Does anyone here know that from experience? Yes or no? Please say so loud enough for people who don't know it to trust you. Yes? Yes, it does. Listen, that doesn't mean they're pleasant. It's very hard to be joyful, as James says here. It makes me hate him. But, but for all of us, for all of us who have been through it and grown in endurance, can we tell the rest of us, yes, it's true. The, the storms are necessary. And let endurance have its full effect, he says. Let it happen. Let the storm come down and let the nitrogen there soak in. Hang in there through the storm. Hang in there. I'm saying this now directly to you. Hang in there. At least one of you needs to hear it. Hang in there. I know the storm's hard, but they're necessary so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. That is, that's what's ahead of us, according to Jesus' brother, James. The time where we're not lacking in anything at all anymore. Where we can say, thank God for that storm, because look at what's growing now. It never would have come up without it. And I can tell you, after August, as, as the season rolled along, the things which were growing in our garden were miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. The herbs that we were able to add to the food we were cooking the vegetables that were there, the flowers that could be used for making tea, uh, the mint and the dill. It's remarkable. It's amazing what happens. It takes time, but you will be complete and lacking in nothing when you let this endurance have its full effect. Take heart. One more lesson from the garden. So fifth one, the roots matter. The roots matter. Throughout the entire season, we faced one persistent problem. Any guesses? The weeds. The weeds that were there at the start kept coming back. Okay, here, the bed that you see there, the two rectangles, the bed on the left, this is as we had progressed in my strategy of putting down those wood chips, great strategy. Uh, the bed on the left there, that is weeds, what Michelle called stickers. On the right, the one that's all brown, that's the one that we had weeded. Now for me, that meant grabbing the leaves that of the plant that showed and pulling them up as hard as I could until they broke off so you couldn't see the weeds anymore. I was very proud of my work until Michelle assured me that unless I got the weeds all the way down to the roots, that they would grow back. 
Okay, again, I thought she was wrong. No, look, I've, I've torn them up. I've hurt them badly enough. Of course, they're not going to come back, especially since after we broke them, we added a bunch of dirt on top of them, three or four inches. No way they're coming back. I took this picture a few days after we finished weeding. Those healthy-looking shoots had all grown out of the roots that were left behind. The only way to get rid of weeds is to dig all the way down to their roots. And these weeds, their roots went very, very far down. And that's the only way to manage them. Otherwise, you will never, ever be able to stop the growth of unhealthy uh, fruit there in your garden. Okay, now I'm going to talk about you. Deep down, beneath every unhealthy thing that grows in you is sin. The condition which results in every failure every misstep, every twisted thing that grows in us, all of our pettiness, all of our insecurity and and our self-centeredness, every time we're being the man or the woman we know we shouldn't be, all of that is all the way down at the bottom rooted in the same thing. As long as all the way down there at the bottom, our sin is not dealt with, we will always be growing the wrong kind of fruit forever. Now, in our garden in Bedminster, Uh, Michelle's persistence resulted in getting a lot of those weeds all the way down in the roots. But in your life, you are not able to dig far enough down to root out sin. You can't. This is the truth about you and me. Now here is where the gospel proclaims such good news. And you should open your heart to this right now. If you've opened your heart to this before, open it again. If you've never considered your deep, deep down need for God's deliverance, listen to me. The gift that Jesus gives when he gives himself is freedom from sin. That's what he gave to us. Not just the capacity to grow fruit. Yes, he's given us that when we attach ourselves to him. But before that, the gift of going all the way down to the depths so that our sin could be dealt with and managed so at last we could have freedom and the freedom which is absolutely necessary to grow good things in the world. Jesus alone in all the world has the power and the will to destroy sin all the way down in its depths. And you can hear this truth about Jesus in the very first thing which is said about him in the New Testament. When the angel comes to Joseph to tell him that his wife is going to bear a child that comes from the Holy Spirit, look at what the angel says to Joseph. This is Matthew 1:21. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's the first thing that's said about him. The the name Jesus means God saves and Jesus saves us from our sins. God the gardener who is the king. And this is what we considered in the very first message that we dealt with here where God in the garden of Eden who is the gardener who invites uh, men and women to garden with him. God who is the king, that gardener has come in person in Jesus to plant himself in the ground so we can grow and to allow himself to be nailed to a tree and killed to save us from our sin. Not just us, but the whole entire world. And he's done that so that we can grow in the world. For now, you need to take this final lesson to heart and then be grateful and ask, what now shall I do? Two things, humility and gratitude are what is required of you. First, the humility to ask Jesus again to come and take the weeds that are growing in out of you. You can do that. All it takes is humility. I need your help. Come and take them out. 
And then gratitude for his faithfulness in the garden, which is you growing. Just be grateful for it. Because what grows when you're attached to Jesus is, is the very best fruit that you need and that the world needs. Next week, we'll spend time digging deep down into this claim that we've ended with here that Jesus is the gardener who comes to remove the weeds to deal with sin. We'll talk about that next week. He does that, and you can see it especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gardens show up at very critical points in the scriptures. For now, what do you say? We join our hearts together and pray that God will take these lessons from the garden for us as disciples so that we can grow. Will you pray with me? Excellent. God, we pray first of all in humility, asking you to come again in Jesus and to deal with the sin that keeps us from growing. When we're honest with ourselves, when we're true, every one of us can see that Again, there are patterns of behavior and attitudes and beliefs that we return to that make it impossible for anything good to grow and lead only to the kind of growth that we want to get rid of. Help us accept that we can't deal with our sin on our own and then with gratitude help us receive the gift of Jesus who comes uh, to make us new again. We thank you for that. And then God, we ask simply that as we've spent time in the garden today that we would be able to take to heart the lessons, especially which you want us to take to heart. You know what each of us especially needs to hear. Would you cement in our hearts, or rather plant like seeds in our hearts, exactly what we need to take from our time together this morning? That discipleship is hard. It's harder than we think, and so it's okay for us to struggle. You promise to be within us so that we can keep growing, and it's a mystery how that works, but God, help us have attitudes of wonder toward that mystery and be grateful for the things that you help grow. Remind us where we need to be more consistent than we have been so that we can take our own part in growth. And when storms come, help us not try to run away from them, but remember that they're necessary. And then lastly, God, again, help us take our hands off of, off of all of our work at trying to root out the deep, the deep problems in us and instead help us receive your mercy and grace which makes us new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.